Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and my guest today is the regional director and a partner at Retirement Plan Advisors, Mark Mitchell, a.k.a. Santa Claus in my heart. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure, Amy. Thank you for asking me. Absolutely. As an honoree of the Spirit of Cambridge Award, we are so glad to have you. I can't wait for our listeners to hear about you and your story, both professionally and personally. So let's start off with the typical question I I start with, because it leads us in a lot of directions. Tell the listeners your story. How did you get started in this profession? And how did you get to where you are today? I have to be serious about this, don't I? We can laugh a little. Our listeners like it to be a little light. All right, all right. I was going to say it started back in the mid-50s when I was born, but um, we'll (laughs) cut that out. My story started actually when I was a police officer. Started off right out of high school, going to the police department, and I actually worked there for 15 years in the city of Livonia, Michigan. And about 10 years into it, I started to realize that There was a lot more than just police work. My dad was on the police department also, started to see that there was a big gap in the advice that officers were getting before they retired. They had a lot of decisions to make, and most of the time they had no idea where to go for answers. I had been elected by my union to be on the pension board. That's what got me interested in the investment world to start with. And from there, it expanded. While I was on the police department, I got my life insurance license and found out that that really wasn't enough for me. I wanted to get more into the investing and the planning and helping people retire and not just doing life insurance. So that's when I went off in you know, pursuit of my own getting a Series 7. And a friend of my wife's boss at the time, he was in the investment world and he's the one that got me started got me an appointment with a company used to be called Mutual Service Corporation. And I started with them and just did a few mutual funds and a few annuities and things like that, but it got me a start. And then I found out in the city of Livonia that I had been there already for probably seven years and never knew that they had what's called a 457 plan, a deferred compensation account. So I started investigating and found out that truly there was a company and it was a company that was basically under Nationwide and went to the state director for Nationwide and talked to him about, I've been here for, you know, at that time since 1974 and here it was the mid eighties and those plans had been in existence since 1979 and I never heard about it before. And I wondered why not? You know, who was the advisor and who could I talk to? So that got me more knowledgeable about the 457B plans. And then from there, it just kept growing. And after a few years of doing it part-time while I was still a police officer, the opportunity came up for me to go full-time. And the big decision then was, do I leave police work after 15 years to go into something that is, at that time, pretty much all commission-based? you know, leaving a guaranteed pension and benefits and things like that to go off on this wild venture, as my wife called it then. And she was happy with the fact that I was secure with a pension and a paycheck every two weeks and things like that. And we talked about it. 
And even though I didn't get any guarantees, there was an assurance there that because of what I had done already, the state director at that time felt that I could do okay in this business. So in January of 89, I left police work and started working the 457 market for the, for the most part at that point. Let me ask a follow-up question. First of all, thank you for your service. It's fascinating. We spend a lot of time in our industry talking about how to get new entrants to come into our business. And a lot of that is designed uh, and dedicated towards conversation around the next gen or younger advisors who are just starting their career. But what's unique about this is we can pivot and talk about career changers, which is another really strong, in my opinion, pipeline to bring the right people into our business, and we definitely need more of them. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about the, how did you feel? What were the challenges maybe that you experienced as you were trying to make that decision? And any advice you would give people who are out there perhaps doing something else and they've got a fascination or some experience with investing and have thought about becoming a financial professional but just haven't made the leap yet that's a lot of questions there <laughs> i think my advice to the person that is in another career is if you're not happy with that other career then of course you want to look somewhere else if you've really got the fascination or the interest in financial planning investment advice things like that pursue it Talk to people that are in that business. If you've got a plan at work, take advantage of it. But then if you have an advisor that you are working with in that capacity, talk to them. They can give you sometimes leads on where to go, who to work with. I had a mentor in the previous company that kind of took me under his wing. And for the first couple of years, I kind of followed him around. I was able to still be a police officer at that time, so I had a nice paycheck and then kind of learned the ropes for a couple of years part-time. That's a great opportunity. You don't have to jump in, go cold, you know, jump in cold and have to learn a business and make an income at the same time. So it's a gradual process. You get to learn the business, kind of figure out at that point what group of people you might want to work with. Mark, have you had any of the financial professionals in your organization make a change? Where do they come from? I had hired a few guys back in the 90s and probably early 2000s that had been in other careers. One of them was a preacher. One of them was a firefighter. There was a lady that I'd hired that was a model. She did a lot of the auto shows and runways and things like that. So very diverse. There's no real one cliche about who makes the best advisor, the best financial representative. So it's a matter of the person has an interest and they seek you out. Don't be afraid to be a mentor. That's great. Diversity. That's another message we try to get out there quite frequently is there is no ideal picture of what a financial professional looks like other than we need financial professionals that look like the investing public. And guess what? That includes every category within the diversity definition for sure. We've talked about financial professionals here real briefly. So could you share with me a little bit about your organization and what you do to build relationships with those financial professionals? What are the types of things that you spend time together building? 
Good question. When we started off in the group that I'm part of back about 21 years ago, we were basically starting off brand new from a company that we had been with before that changed their business model. So I was recruiting already existing advisors that had been in the business. People that I know had a good track record that I wanted to work with me in the new group. So that was a, a really warm introduction. They had to make a decision whether or not they wanted to stay in the old company or come join us. So that was a decision on their part. I just had to give them the option. So I started off with a core group of financial professionals that joined us. And then I took on the responsibility of not only rebuilding my own practice, because we started off from scratch again, but helping them build their own. So giving them assistance, working with the group plans that we were taking care of, which our niche market still is today, the group retirement plans, specifically in the public sector. So my background being in police work, you know, I just naturally, you know, gravitate towards other police officers and firefighters and public employees. The advisors and the representatives that work with me, those other financial professionals, wanted to make sure that they were comfortable in the new business and then rebuilding those contacts, rebuilding all those relationships that we had nurtured for many years. And for the most part, we got those back. I believe it was because of the way we treated people. We took care of our clients. We took care of these people and made sure that they were going to be ready for retirement. And they appreciated that, which made it an easy move for them to rehire us to handle their accounts, either to take over an existing account or to work side by side with the company that we had been with before. In addition to that, the ongoing training and education and just camaraderie, trying to have meetings with the other financial professionals. My, my role as the state director, regional director for our company, my job, partly in addition to rebuilding my own practice, was to help the advisors be successful also. So having ongoing training meetings, an annual meeting, kind of like Ignite, but on a much, much smaller, smaller basis, was a, a chance for all of the other representatives in Michigan to get together, have a three quarters of a day training or session where we can ask questions, we can help each other working on our own practices and then making sure that all the other representatives brought their spouses along. And then we would get together for a nice dinner and some sort of entertainment or activity for the evening. So it was a full day, just making sure that everybody was happy when they left. That's fantastic. Relationship building is so important in our business. I get the sense, based on what I know about your business, that a lot of it, up until perhaps, say, nine months ago, was boots on the ground, face-to-face -face interaction with the investing client. How have things changed and are the financial professionals and the clients transitioning into this world? What do you think stays, what goes away? The Zoom meetings help, but I think just staying in contact by phone, sometimes it's sending out just a correspondence. You know, a quick note to maybe our contact person at a certain city, township, county, someplace like that. Let them know you're still available, you're still there. We're doing group Zoom meetings where a lot of times in the, you know, I hate to say it, but in the fire station, the best place is in the kitchen. 
you know, they've got a, a computer or a laptop or something like that set up and we can talk to eight or 10 guys at one time and kind of explain to them, hey, what's new? You know, are there changes in the investment recommendations, changes in tax laws, changing the new maximums as far as how much they're able to save for retirement? So giving them an update, maybe not in person, like we can't bring them in donuts or something like that, but we can certainly make sure that we're talking to them and staying in touch. And that's working. Definitely so. I think across the board, if you look at our, the way we've been able to keep our business, I don't think anybody has been hurt this year as far as the other financial professionals in Michigan go. I think everybody is doing fine. You know, clients are happy that we're staying in touch with them, both on the individual as well as on the group side. And I think that's what's important, especially at the beginning of this year with the COVID virus and the way the market dropped. Hundreds, if not thousands of phone calls were made during that first quarter and beginning of the second quarter to the clients to let them know, hey, we're here. Don't worry about it. Don't panic. I myself have been through five drops where the market had dropped by more than 30% since I've been in this business. We've lived through it. We're going to live through it again. And everybody says, this, this time it's different. <laughs> I said, all five times it was different. There was nothing the same about any of them. So, you know, just giving them a, a certain reassurance, as I say, talking them off the ledge and just making sure that you're the, the voice of comfort, of assurance, you know, that they can talk to you anytime. So whether it's a phone call or a Zoom meeting or a, a note in the mail, as long as you're staying in touch with the, the client, then you're going to be fine. Mark, how much time do you spend working with your own investing clients versus working with the financial professionals these days? I probably spend about 10% of my time working with the other professionals. Sometimes it's just a matter of helping them calm down, helping them answer questions. You know, what do you do with a problem client? A lot of the advisor, the professionals that are in the business of giving advice maybe they don't know the kind of advice to give. Sometimes it's a matter of being, you know, blunt, to, to put it bluntly, just letting them know, hey, these things happen. You know, don't worry about it. We're here. We'll do the worrying for you. I didn't get hair like this just sitting on the sidelines. For our listeners, Mark has some gray hair or what's <laughs> left Thank you, Amy. You were kind. <laughs> Very handsome gray hair. It is just making sure that the, the financial professionals are comfortable in their situations and in the advice that they are providing to their clients and knowing that they have somebody behind them that they can contact. You know, if it's not me, if I don't have the answers, I know where to go to get the answers. Well, I would imagine... There's many who have not had the benefit, if you can call it that, of having lived through five down markets created by five different series of events, sequences, and you're able to reassure them, to your point earlier, that this too shall pass. This is our job during these times, and we will get through it together. No, we're going to give advice to our clients, but making sure that they are comfortable and they're not worried about things and making sure that you can reassure them that, hey, they're going to be fine. You don't have to continue working until you're 90 years old. 
our plans are still intact. We've made the plans a long time ago to make sure that you are going to be okay. Great segue into where I'd like to go next, which is since you spend 90% of your time working with your own clients, let's talk about what your ideal client looks like. My ideal client would be the public sector still, the firefighter, police officer, teacher, DPW, truck driver, the person that most people would consider blue collar. I don't really deal with professors or company owners or things like that. It's the public employee. Ideally, somebody that I have worked with for a number of years in their group retirement plans, and then they're getting close to retirement. So I'm able to continue helping them up into and throughout their retirement. So when it comes to deciding which pension option to take, when to take Social Security, what to do with lump sum payouts when they're leaving, how to do these rollovers, things like that, which, which plans make the most sense for them, and then making sure that their beneficiaries are structured correctly and that they're providing for those people after them. Do you ever run into a client that hasn't had the benefit to your statement earlier about we've had the plan in place for a long time, you don't have to work until you're 90. I have to imagine you occasionally run into someone who perhaps did not prepare well. And how do you approach working with that type of a client? It's sometimes two different ways. You're having a, I don't hate to say brutal, but sometimes it's a brutal conversation that you haven't done a good job of planning for today. You want to retire and a couple of things are going to have to happen. Either you're going to have to adjust your standard of living or you might have to work longer or maybe pick up a part-time job for a few years. A lot of our police officers never paid into social security. So as such, they probably don't have Medicare either. So they're going to start looking at having to cover the cost of healthcare during retirement. And then also not having that little bit of a buffer of social security coming in at some point. So I've had, you know, I call it the unpleasant, but the realistic conversation with our police officers and firefighters that never paid into social security, that you might have to work someplace part-time to get your required quarters in to get something, even if it's just Medicare, even if your social security income is only going to be a few hundred dollars a month, the value of getting those quarters in to get covered by Medicare is irreplaceable. So that has to be challenging, I can imagine, especially because you are doing very honor. I mean, financial professionals delivering advice to clients is an honorable profession, no matter what channel you choose. But for you in particular, in my opinion, you're working with the heroes of our society in many ways. And to have to give them those difficult messages is likely one of the things that you probably don't look forward to for sure, but at least you're there and, and others, you're training others to be there to help them as best you can when they run into that kind of an obstacle. Correct. Amy, a lot of it comes to the point of the way we do business. Like you mentioned earlier, the fact, you know, boots to the ground. We're out there visiting these police stations and fire stations and city halls and public works yards and things like that to get people early, to start people planning early in their careers. You know, one of the things is, you know, you can never start too early. 
even if it's just a few dollars every payday, get going. And I've never had anybody come to retirement and say, I just have too much money. I need to give a lot of this away. Now, maybe they will later on, but when they've gotten to retirement, I've never had any clients say, I've just got too much money. Why did I save so much? So, and, and if I did, I'd probably say, well, I know exactly where you can give some of it if you'd like to, but <laughs> favorite charity. <laughs> so, uh, but that's one of the things that making sure that you get out there and talk to those employees, those groups that you might take care of, you know, whether it's even a small, maybe a simple IRA group, SEP IRA group, you know, the little, I've got a couple of small veterinarian hospitals that I actually got as referrals from other public employees. Just making sure that we talk to all of their staff and get them started right away. You know, we've got a couple of that started off in their late teens and I applaud them that they're starting and they're listening to, you know, the wise old man that said, you can never start too early. Just a personal side note for me, I can validate that I started investing when I was 18 because I had, I was fortunate enough to have a different wise mentor tell me that even $25 every paycheck can go a long way. You will be alive for a really long time. And uh, it definitely is an important message for us to get out to everyone. Exactly. And 18 for you is only a couple of years ago anyway. Oh, thank you. I'd like to think that when I'm dreaming. And then I wake up and look in the mirror and realize it was it, the time has passed. So, Mark, let's change directions a little bit and talk about how you would articulate the core values of your business and in particular, whether there's any, I know there is, where are the synergies between our core values and your core values? We've worked together a long time, so I know they're there. Almost 21 years. Mom had always taught us the golden rule. It's like, treat people the way you want to be treated. I was sold something a long time ago and I didn't know any better. And I bought this and it was an insurance policy. And it was a, a not a very good policy, but I learned from it. I want to make sure that my clients will look back on their experience with me and say, that was a good experience. And Mark didn't do anything wrong. And he didn't steer me the wrong way and he didn't cheat me. I would recommend him to my friends and my family. If you can do that, if you can look at yourself in the mirror every day and say, that's my goal. I think that's what's important is I don't, I don't ask for referrals. That's not the way I've ever done business. I get them, but I don't ask for them. They have come naturally. So <laughs> I guess I'm doing something right. <laughs> Perfect example of what I, the way I articulate it often is doing the right thing for the client, even when no one is looking. And so many of our, hopefully every one of our financial professionals approaches their business that way. How do you live those core values outside of the workplace? Let's talk about Mark Mitchell personally. What do you do when you're not working? What do you do when you're not guiding those clients? I volunteer at church. I'm the face that a lot of people see when they first walk in the door. Now, I know I've been told I have a face for radio, but that's a different story. You know, whether it's the kids getting high fives or just the handshake and, you know, lately I haven't been able to do that, but still being a greeter, I like to volunteer that way. I like to make sure that 
people coming into church, it's a positive experience, whether it's their first time or they've been going for 15 or 20 years. So that's one of the things I like to do. Um, I haven't done it recently, but coaching kids basketball, I never played basketball, but my daughter, I started her when she was young and she liked it. So I kept with it and learned as the, as the other young ladies did. And it got to be the point that she was better than I did. <laughs> or so I had to go back and start coaching the little ones again. So that was one of the things I kind of gave back to the community a little bit that way. And then just making sure that I'm a, I'm a tither. So at least 10% of my gross income goes back to church. And it's been probably closer to 15%. But it goes to the church or to different charities. That's why I like the old uh, fun runs that we had at the Ignite conferences when we had those. You know, even though I don't run a lot, I still like to participate in those. So, and that was from the days when I walked the beat. I can walk forever. <laughs> Can't run, but I can walk. So That's great. Talk about your family. You talked about a daughter. How many children do you have? I have two children. I have a son and a daughter. My daughter is a veterinarian technician. and She's married and has two girls. So I have two granddaughters from her. My son, Eric, and his wife, Eric actually works with me. I brought Eric into the business about 10 or so years ago. He had been a teacher, so I talked to him. He had actually worked in my office in a previous company when he was in college. He understood a little bit about the business. So when I started talking with him back about, probably about 12 years ago, I mentioned to him that at some day I was going to retire and I could use some assistance right now if he's interested. So, you know, he thought about it, prayed about it, and decided, yeah, that's interesting to me. I would like to do that. So I sent him back to school, got his licensing, got his Series 6 and 63 and those things so that he could come on board and start working with me on some of those 457s and 403s and 401 plans that I was familiar with. So Eric works with me. His wife is a teacher. And then they have two, a boy and a girl. So I have three granddaughters and one grandson, and they are all different as night and day. Is it true that, I, I continue to hear this, I'm not, I don't have any grandchildren yet, but I heard that it's significantly more fun being a grandparent, perhaps, than a parent? That's a, a good statement, Amy. I've, I've heard it put another way. I wish I could have had the grandchildren first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, it is fun. My wife has been able to kind of tutor, mentor two of the granddaughters that live close to us with this whole COVID thing and the kids, you know, learning from home, the virtual school. So she's been able to spend three to four days a week working with our granddaughters at home. Now it takes her out of my office because Gail works with me. Priorities. Priorities, yep. So I have had so many conversations and I was well aware of the amount of success that family businesses in our industry can have, but I've had so many conversations through these podcasts, all different kinds of family connections, but people working together. Share with us any challenges with learning how to work with a family member, in particular a son, any challenges being dad? How do you separate business from personal? That's a good point, Amy. That is probably one of the challenges is trying to take off the one hat and only wear the other one. 
the other financial professionals in Michigan that work with me. I get a call about once or twice a week from them about one thing or another. Advice, questions, just talking things over. With Eric, I get six or eight phone calls a day. He knows the answers. He just still wants the assurance. Or maybe he's coming across things that he has never done before. He doesn't have the time and the business that the other financial professionals have that work with me in Michigan. So he's always a little reluctant. You know, it's, it's not that he's not self-assured. It's just one of those things where he says, is this really the right answer? Or is this really what I should be doing? So he's looking for the assurance. And I think it's just that, you know, I was always dad. Anytime there were questions, like, let's ask dad. You know, except when it comes to fly fishing, he would never listen to me about that. So Well, that's okay. I think that's a typical child parent challenge. They have to often learn it themselves. Well, Mark, we're coming to the close of our podcast here, but is there anything we haven't covered that you think our listeners should know about you, about the business, about any advice that you would give them? Number one, don't be afraid to ask questions. There's always somebody that knows more than you or that you can get mentored by. So ask the questions whenever you've got them. Find a niche market. If you've got experience in another field prior to getting into being a financial professional, maybe try that on. For me, it worked very, very well. You know, working with that public sector, I don't have any high net worth clients. I've done fine with working with my first responders and people that work for, you know, other cities and teachers and some nurses, find a market that you like and work with those. Eric has done a really good job with teachers. You know, he was one for a while. His wife is a teacher. So he's gravitated to that in addition to working with the city employees. So get it, find a niche market. I think that really gives you a sense of relaxation that you know what those people do, learn about their profession, learn about them personally, and then you can be their financial professional, but I think it helps to be their friend also. Find a niche market that you're passionate about. That's what I just heard. And that's pretty powerful advice. Well, Mark, thank you for trusting Cambridge for all these years. It has been a pleasure getting to know you. I know our listeners will enjoy getting to know you as much as I have. And I appreciate with all my heart you demonstrating those Cambridge core values each and every day and being a part of Cambridge Stronger. When we joined Cambridge back in 2000, for the most part, like I said, we had been just the typical advisor or roller on these 457s and 403s, those plans. I didn't know how to spell fee-based plan, much know what they were. And Cambridge worked with us. We were all interested, but the market or the group of companies that we came from didn't really go that direction. So working with Cambridge allowed us to really grow. It allowed us to get into markets that we never had before. I think one of the first meetings that you and Eric had with Chris McGrath and Josh Schwartz were, were like the willows. They were both willing to bend with, you know, just kind of be flexible and, you know, get to know each other and what our practices are. Cambridge came to understand and know our markets, the public sector 457s. 
you in turn taught us everything about managed accounts and fee-based planning because none of us that joined Cambridge right away had any idea how those worked. And with, with the platforms that you provided and the training, I believe that every one of the financial professionals of Michigan has embraced that thoroughly. We all thank you. Oh, I'm grateful that we could be a part of it. Thank you for those kind words. And, you know, you made a comment earlier about being more than just the investment professional for your clients and becoming friends. And I can say with your group, we have lots of friends and we have truly, my opinion, we're family. I agree. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com.